I grew up in the inner city of Pittsburgh where cussing was an art form. <laughs> My uh, brother and I and our little reprobate friends would turn the air blue wherever we went. Everywhere except the Dorst house. My mother was a classy lady and she would have none of our cussing or swearing. In fact, uh, if one of my friends or I said, dang, she would say, what's your language? It was too close to profanity. Now, none of us were Christians at that time, but my mother was really stating a biblical theme. The Bible talks a great deal about speech, watching our language, what we say and the way we say it. I actually was thinking about just doing a benediction after Elizabeth's children's moment because she always steals the heart of my sermon, but um, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, where the Apostle Paul talks about the power of words. Listen, for this is the Word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Paul begins this powerful section of Scripture by describing our lives B.C. Before we came to Christ, we were like the Gentiles of Paul's day. Verse 18 is an apt description of the world. They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, I am part of a uh, men's Bible study that meets every Tuesday morning. I'll be going back there uh, in September. And it's a great group of guys. Uh, our time slot is 8 to 9.30, but most of the men arrive by 7.45 because they're so eager to solve the problems of the world. Um, 
we uh, spent, this is the slowest service in America in terms of a restaurant, and we don't mind because from the time we arrive until we finish eating and then begin the Bible study, we uh, try to talk about the world and the church and what we can do about it. And invariably, someone will bring something that they're upset about. And they usually will begin something like this. I can't believe. I think of a recent conversation that one guy said, I can't believe that there are a couple states that are considering live birth abortions. And then we will discuss that and, uh, again, solve the problems of the world. But my response often is, why are you surprised? Sinners sin. That's what they do. Only those who are filled with God's Spirit, who are God's people, are able to obey God's Word. So we shouldn't be surprised when the world lives in ignorance and darkness and hardness of heart. Paul's point here is that, yes, we are still able to, to sin, but... God has transformed us. He has given us His Holy Spirit so that we are able not to sin. And sanctification is becoming more holy, more like Christ. And that's what this passage calls us to. Verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. A big part of putting on the new self, of living in righteousness and holiness, has to do with our lips. As Elizabeth said, and uh, I said at the beginning, the Bible talks a great deal about the power of words. In your outline, I've given you eight verses from the book of Proverbs, which talks about the power of the tongue more than any other. I want to comment on just four of those eight very briefly. <clears throat> the passage that Sloan read this morning included verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You may have heard the statement by Abraham Lincoln, better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove any doubt. There's a cliche, God's given us two ears and one mouth. We need to listen much more than we speak. I don't know about you, but I had a number of classes. In fact, I had a minor in college in speech. But I never had a class in listening. And that skill is tremendously important for God's people. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh response stirs up anger. I used to do a lot of marriage counseling as a young pastor, and one of the things that I noticed when couples are upset, the volume tends to rise. Gary Smalley, in his videos, said, when you're having an argument, get soft. Turn down the volume. That enables you to solve problems. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
That's what Elizabeth was saying in her children's message. I uh, wrote on the, the Pulse this week that I'm a child of the 60s. I love pop music, and my favorite singer was Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters. Uh, I believe that she was a Christian, and I also am hoping that God will allow me to have a private concert with her when I get to heaven. But as you know, Karen Carpenter died very, very young of anorexia. At their very first concert, it was in Sacramento, California, there was a reviewer from the local newspaper, the Sacramento Bee, and he began his review of the Carpenter's concert with these words, Richard Carpenter and his chubby little sister Karen. And then he continued, she already had body image issues, but that kind of sent her into a spiral. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can bless or curse. And then I love this one, Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. It doesn't just matter what we say, what words we use, but timing is really, really important. Uh, my mother died suddenly and unexpectedly when I was 18 years old, and we were all stunned. Uh, we went to the funeral home the next morning, and my youth pastor, who'd led me to Christ, came to meet with the family. And he gathered us in a circle, and I don't think he had much experience with funerals as a youth pastor. He began his prayer by saying, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in this situation. And my immediate response was tremendous anger. What he was saying was true, but it was the wrong timing. I needed to hear a prayer, Lord, please comfort the Dorse in their tremendous loss. And then maybe that this would work together for God's glory. Jesus' brother James says some powerful things about the use of the tongue in the third chapter. The tongue is a fire set on fire by hell. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I was with the uh, mission team on Friday uh, as they were heading out, and I couldn't help but think back to when I was a youth pastor. Um, our summer program at First Presbyterian Bethlehem was not slowing down. It was accelerating. We had so much going on. We sent kids on overseas mission trips. We had a children's sand and surf mission. We had discipleship camps. We had evangelistic camps. We had a circus tent where we brought in music groups five days a week. And the session allowed me to hire four interns, summer interns, who worked pretty much full-time. And often, we had a lot of kids, and there would be an intern or myself who would complain about a particular kid, say something uh, critical. And one of the interns, Bob Smith, that's his real name, uh, he is now a pastor in California. Bob would always say, you're talking about someone created in the image of God for whom Christ died. Is that right? 
would immediately be corrected. With our tongues, we bless our God and Father and can curse people created in his image. And that's what Paul focuses on in the rest of this passage. How we speak gives a potent message to the world. In verse 25, he begins, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members one of another. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about giving, making oaths. It's a passage that people sometimes misunderstand. He says, do not swear by heaven or by Jerusalem. That was an art form back in the days of Jesus. To make someone's statement seem more important, they would begin it with an oath. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We have modern oaths. My least favorite one is this. Let me be honest with you. Whenever I hear that, I think, what were you being before? Were you lying to me? Christians should be known for telling the truth. Now again, unlike the courtroom where we have to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, we don't have to say everything we know or everything we feel. But what we say needs to be true. Ted Angstrom, who is a wonderful president of World Vision, wrote a book called Integrity. And this is what he says in part of that book. Integrity is simply doing what you say you would do. When you promise to be faithful to your mate, integrity means forsaking all others and being true to your spouse. If you promised a friend you'd return a call, integrity means you return it. If you promised a child that you would spend time together, integrity means you keep that appointment. A promise is a holy thing, whether made to the chairman of the board or to a child. We should be people who cleave to the truth because our God is a God of truth. And our God is also a God who has given us the gift of anger. People misunderstand anger, I think, very badly. Uh, some people say, you know, I never get angry, or we shouldn't get angry. But Paul tells us here, we are commanded to be angry. Verse 26 says, be angry, it's a command, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus was genuinely angry when he went into the temple and he saw these people ripping off the pilgrims. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And what does he do? He turns over the tables and he makes a whip out of cords and he casts them out of the temple. Martin Luther was furious when the monk Tetzel was selling forgiveness in the form of indulgences. And so he tacked his 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg and began the Protestant Reformation. Abraham Lincoln, when he was 17 years old, went down the Mississippi River with a friend and arrived in New Orleans and saw human beings being sold on an auction block. 
And he said to his friend, I am going to spend my life changing that situation. Anger is a gift from God meant to motivate us to fix something that is wrong. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Keep short accounts. When something angers us, we need to ask the question, what is wrong here? A misunderstanding of anger is that it's like a pressure cooker. And it builds up and we have to forcefully express our anger. Uh, when I was doing my doctorate at Fuller, we had a guest lecturer, Carol Tavris, who was a Ph.D. psychologist who wrote a book, Anger, the Misunderstood Emotion. And she proved conclusively that when people ventilate their anger, as Proverbs says, a fool gives vent to his anger, it actually increases. So the old advice, count to ten, step back from the situation, is good advice. Lord, what is wrong here? And how do you want me to make it right? What do I need to do to fix it? Don't let the too many suns go down on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. The devil loves bitterness and clamor and slander, as it says in this passage. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a threefold test in verse 29. And again, Elizabeth, this is a footnote to you. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I think there's at least a threefold question in this passage. Before we speak, is it true? No corrupting talk. Is it necessary? And is it helpful? We often think of gossip as spreading false rumors, but that's not necessarily all of gossip. Gossip can be sharing things that are true that aren't necessary, that are not helpful. Is what I'm about to say going to impart grace to those who hear? Recognize as well that God's grace is with us. We will fall short. I cannot say that I have mastered anger in my life or that my words always reflect grace, but God's grace is there to give us a new chance, a new start. And that's what's represented at the end of this, this passage. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think two of the most important many sentences we can utter are this. I am sorry and I forgive you. Now, I'm a theologian and I may be overly particular. I probably am. But when I say to somebody, hey, I am sorry, please forgive me. I don't like it when they say no problem or don't worry about it. If it wasn't a problem and if I wasn't concerned about it, I wouldn't be asking forgiveness. The biblical response when someone confesses to you is simply, I forgive you. 
And that word in the New Testament means, I release you from any attempt to strike back. I will not use this against you. I will not continue to bring it up. Confession and forgiveness are two of the great gifts God has given to us. I will never forget speaking to an inner varsity Christian fellowship group at Lafayette University in Easton, Pennsylvania. It was a wonderful group of college kids, and before I spoke, they had a time of sharing and prayer. And one of the young women said, you know, I was very sick last week, and I was in the infirmary, and a number of you came to visit. And the nurses commented on how wonderful it was that my Christian friends came and visited and prayed for me. Everybody was really feeling affirmed and pleased. And then I spoke. I, I was speaking from the first chapter of John where Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. And I talked about the fact that Christians are called by God to be gracious to one another, but also truthful at the same time. Well, I finished my talk and I closed in prayer and this young woman raised her hand. And she stood up and she said, I need to ask your forgiveness because I lied before Pastor Dorse spoke. Uh, yeah, you all came to visit me, but the nurses never commented on my Christian friends coming. I was just, I guess, I don't know why I said it, but I was wrong, and I asked her forgiveness. She was in tears, and I said, let's pray. Uh, we want to express our forgiveness, and then an amazing thing happened. The Holy Spirit descended upon that group. And as we were praying, these college kids began to confess their sins to one another and began to pray for each other that they might be healed. It was truly a holy moment because someone had the courage to speak truthfully. I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness. And the rest not only expressed I forgive you, but I need to be forgiven as well. We have a closing hymn that we're going to sing in the 11 o'clock service that really summarizes what I'm trying to say this morning poetically. Let me read it to you. It's called, Gracious Spirit, Dwell With Me, and this is the first verse. Gracious Spirit, dwell with me. I myself would gracious be. And with words that help and heal would thy life in mine reveal and with actions bold and meek would for christ my savior speak would you pray with me lord jesus you are the word of god made visible and your spirit has given us the word of god written so that our words might be your words. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you give us your spirit who enables us to live in righteousness and holiness, for our speech to reflect our relationship with you. Lord, we each confess that we fall far short of what Scripture tells us to do. We ask forgiveness for careless words, for words that have wounded others in the past. 
And Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you would inspire us, that you would use us, that you would constrain us with self-control, that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, this we ask in Jesus' name.